So how do you see these identity management approaches and how can it be moved to the next level? Because this is very cumbersome. Send me your ID card or I will send you a, give me your phone. I will text you, give me a OTP back. That's not ideal in my opinion. I, I mean, I would agree with you. I think that process you're describing, you know, it's as if they need to know everything. It's as if your identity is a singular entity, right? It's, it's all or nothing. And no. that is, that's how it's framed so often. You know, even, even to purchase, uh, purchase alcohol in the United States, you need to show a driver's license. You know, that, that doesn't just prove that you're over 21. That has your home address on it, has your blood type in some states. It's got all kinds of personal information. And, you know, sure, in, in a grocery store, people aren't going to write that down. But online, anything you share like that is, is essentially stored forever. Um, and so mm -hmm. I think it's really important to stop viewing identity as, as a singular thing and recognize that it's about relationships. And all human relationships are multifaceted, right? Who I am to you is different to who I am to my employer, is different to who I am with the customer, is different to who I am with my, my friends and family. And right. what we need to prove about ourselves to engage in those relationships um, should be different. Um, and, you know, it's true that for government services, like for, for um, operating a motor vehicle, getting, getting a license for that, or crossing a border, you know, there's a there's a common standard that's required that you that you should have to clear. But for all the other aspects of our of our digital existence, um, you should really have to prove only what's strictly required. Um, so I think if you break it down into the different credentials that we we used to use before life went digital, right? You have a piece of paper that had your academic qualifications on it, you have your, your plastic driver's license and things like that, that you can combine in ways that meet the need of, uh, of what's required rather than having to just, just share the whole lot. And so, you know, the way, the way I look at it and, and certainly the way we look at it at Evanim is if you break that down into different credentials and allow people to combine them in ways to substantiate only the trust that's required, then you don't have this impossible hurdle to clear where you've mm -hmm. got to prove everything about yourself. Because the truth is that identity thieves have that information at their fingertips just as well as you do. Um, and it's, it's just going to be a constant arms race otherwise. Indeed. I think when we look at Europe, there are different identity management solutions in place. Like in Belgium, we have something called uh, It's Me. And what you do is you give your credentials one time, link it to your bank or any other organization. And in future, you say, I want to log into It's Me. Yeah. And you just need to give your mobile phone number and rest of the identification data you don't have to. Rest stays with that. So are there any interesting approaches when you say you want to make it decentralized or you want to make it next generation? Yeah, so I, I like those. Uh, I like those bank ID schemes like like um, like it's me. Uh, and, and you know, I think people often talk about the Estonian model as well, um, where, you know, that's there's quite centralized, but um, but it works really well in their environment. And, and I think it's it's important to recognize that, you know, it, that's not just a technology solution. And what works well there is the, the cultural fit. You know, those are those are cultures where there's actually generally quite a high amount of trust in institutions like the government. Um, and they, they exist in an environment with quite strong data protection regulation that, that means that a service like that could be run centrally and still be well trusted. Um, I don't think that's true in all countries. Um, you know, it, it's, it's certainly not true. It's getting better in the United States and places like that, but it's, it's, it's not true there today. Um, and certainly when you go outside the US and Western Europe, it's, it's less and less uh, a sure thing. So if we're looking at, you know, how do we get internet scale trust, then, 
you know, it, it almost comes back to what we were talking about a moment ago, where you can't view it as one size fits all, you know. No. And so when we say decentralized, you know, we're not we're not really saying, you know, blockchain, all the things. What, what we're saying is don't imagine this this one view of who a person is and this one source of truth, this one database where you can look them up. You know, instead, um, think about it uh, as the person, as the logical center um, and all the different aspects of their life. Imagine that because of laid out around them as opposed to the sort of classical view where you've got the company in the middle and all their users clustered around them. Um, if you if you take that view, then uh, what's needed in a given uh, in a given uh, domain, like a, a given country or a given uh, commercial setting, um, can vary quite radically. And yet, you can still have common rails that allow that that trust to be established. Does that make sense? It does make sense. I'm just uh, speculating. How would a practical use case look like in that situation? Uh, how would the user experience be? Well, so. Today, um, the way most of the, the schemes that are trying to do that work is they, they sort of give you this um, digital wallet experience. So, you know, you imagine you, quite often it's, a, it's an app on your mobile phone or sometimes it's a, a, a locker, an account that you sort of log into online and it's stored for you in the cloud. But um, typically you give individuals the ability to sort of collect and securely store these different credentials um, about their life. Um, and then you have the ability for um, organizations to plug in and either provide individuals with that data. And so that could be anything from a driver's license through to a, a receipt or a, a warranty for a, a purchase that I make. Um, and then you can have uh, the same ability for organizations to request and verify that information. And so the user experience would feel a bit like when you, uh, when you check out online using one of those um, uh, like like a PayPal checkout or um, or pay with uh, Apple Pay things like that, you know you would you would use a second device usually to approve that that checkout process, um, and what's happening there is that the information is being shared sort of directly from your digital wallet back to the relying party that that needs to make a, a trust decision based on it, and you know that sounds similar to the model today with identity providers like uh, exactly. Google, Facebook, where you sign in with them. But the big difference is because this information is coming from you direct to the organization, there's no third party in the middle that is able to, number one, decide uh, who is allowed to plug in and who isn't, um, and two, surveil those transactions. And, and even if they can't see the data themselves, those identity providers know, you know which of their users are interacting with which other businesses and things like that. And all that metadata is still incredibly valuable for their you know, extractive uh, advertising business models and things like that. So the, the experience is, is not radically different, um, but the, the main thing is that you've actually given the individual um, direct control of that data rather than you know, just a username and password to allow someone else to release it for them. Let me play it back. It's more like the authenticator apps which we are having. So mm. there's an app which collects all your data, but for the rest of them, they connect with a say unique identifier to the app and the ID is identified, but behind it, it's you, it's your date of birth, it's your uh, uh, driver's license, all that remains uh, kind of anonymous. Is that? That's right, yeah, you're, you can be pseudonymous for every one of those interactions that you need to. And there's, there's, no, there's no one unique ID. I'm not, you know, James123, uh, everywhere I sign in. I, I would be a different James, but I still have the ability to prove that, you know, I'm a real person, that my name really is James, you know, if, if I need to. Um, mm -hmm. the, the people I'm sharing that with are able to verify 
that that information is accurate um, if they trust the source of it, right? So they're not they're not just taking my word for it. They're able to look at that credential and see who was it that issued that to James. So they can tell that it was, say, the, the driver's license authority or it was my bank or someone like that. Um, but they don't have to actually phone home with an API or something like that and go and ask them directly. They can instantly verify it um, as soon as they get it from me because of the digital signature that's on the data itself. And how does the organization asking the, uh, the app to validate trusts that this is the right one? Because I can, uh, you are James123, I can also say I'm James123, but you will not validate it. But how do they know I have not impersonated and created a James123 myself instead of you creating it? Yeah, well, so they, they need to trust the uh, authentication mechanisms that the issuers of those credentials have in place. And so okay. part of whether you trust the credential at all has to do with, you know, do you trust that that organization knows, uh, you know, knows who their stakeholders are, who their end users are. So, you know, if, if there was a credential from, uh, you know, from my sports club, for example, um, that says my name is James and I live at this address, you know, you might think, well, how robust are their checks really? Did, did they actually check where James lives? You know, Whereas if it was a credential that was derived from a utility statement, say, then you could be pretty confident because if I've been paying the bill for my electricity for a number of years there, then and, and my electricity company says this is my address, then, then that's probably quite quite reliable. And so, you know, again, we we don't think there should be one standard for trust, and either you have a, a good ID or you don't. Um, we think trust is very much in the eye of the beholder. And so if as an individual I have at my disposal various different proofs from, from various different organizations that know me, um, then a relying party can, can make a decision as to which ones they'll accept and I can choose which ones I'm willing to, to reveal. And of course, in reality, the user experience of that is not like I have to go to my filing cabinet and rifle through all that stuff. I, my, my, my app, my wallet app or my phone will do all that for me automatically. And all I need to do is have a look at my screen and decide if I'm going to approve or deny the request to share that information. Thanks for listening. And now we ask you for some help. Take a moment to subscribe and review this podcast. Your support matters. And if you have done it already, thank you so much. Now, if you have questions or suggestions, drop an email at hello at fitforprivacy.com. And finally, if you know someone who will benefit from this, share this podcast with them and help us grow. Thank you so much. Stay safe and see you next time.